0: Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Chris Herndon joins me now. Chris, what are we listening to? It's
1: uh, Ice Cold Ice by the 1980s St. Paul, Minnesota band. Who's Purdue? Who knows what they speak of? Or knew what they speak of? Spoke of? I don't know. It's about ice.
0: So, uh, before anything else, I saw the Banshees of In-Sheron, what the hell was yeah. that? That was not exactly a feel good saga. I'll say that. It was it is not for it's not for everybody. It does stick with me. I'll say I, I, what, 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 you loved this movie.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I mean the, the the things have to be feel feel no, good. No, they don't. I mean, they I, don't. I don't.
0: They don't have to be feel good to be. It was it was
1: What did you love about it? And nothing's for everybody. I I, I think you know it, it is sort of a hard movie it, there's something sort of ineffable about it. I do think that's true. It's, you know, the two movies I loved last year, Tar and, and Banshee, Banshees have been a shared. I love for totally different reasons. Like Tar, I really admired almost as pure cinema in terms of the construction and the, the arc of it and, and the way scenes were set up and just, you know, the whole thing is sort of a technical thing. Um, Benches, even a Sharon was really elemental. It's almost like a Samuel Beckett play or something. It, it, it was much more. It was less like a spectacle you were watching than a thing about sort of being alive in the world and sort of, you know, that that core tension between, between you know that the, the, that argument that they have about you know being remembered for what you accomplish versus just being a good person Right. And sort of the tension between those things and just, just sort of fragility of that friendship. There was something very elemental and very moving about it, I thought.
0: Yeah. I did wonder if there was some metaphor that I was missing of the Irish civil, but I don't think, I think it was mostly just about them and this world and this universe. And, um, and I gather if I had known anything about the director, I wouldn't have been surprised by the, by the spirit of this film? Is that right? Mc, Martin McDonough? I guess,
1: although I, although I don't, I, I mean, I, I really disliked his last movie, um, Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. I don't think he, he he landed, he did he and America didn't really go well together, so it's good to get him back to Ireland. But he is a playwright by, by nature and who's become a filmmaker, and I think that sort of, that sort of almost theater of the absurd yeah. sort of, you know, bare sort of theatrical stuff is, is is pretty rooted in what he does.
0: All right. Uh, onward we go. I uh, read your piece on the Jaron Jackson-John uh, Morant game Sunday. And uh, the short answer is it is not the most they've ever scored Combined in in a game previously, not even this year. But if you add up points, rebounds, assists, all of that, it is, in fact, the best game. And that's not the measure of a great game, by the way, but it is the most they have ever... Go ahead. More of a
1: measure of a great game than just scoring points. Yeah, it is. Um, You know, in in terms of total production, in terms of total production in a win, in terms of total production that also includes a a triple-double and a five-block game... Like you know, and needing every bit of what they had yeah. to pull out a game. I think it was probably the best, yeah. the best combined game they played.
0: And then one of the points you make is that it was, it was not just them on the court together. It was them playing together, particularly on offense, in a way that they often do not. In um, particularly, I mean, you pointed out that Jaron. 11 of his 12 buckets were assisted and that is not always the case. He's a lot of time he's scoring, you know, he's trying to do stuff in isolation. I don't know what it he, it's a sort of theme you've talked about for a long time that they're they have these two their two best players don't always necessarily play well together.
1: Yeah, or or don't I mean there's it's not just that is I think true, but it's also they don't play they don't play together a lot. Right. Both in terms of actually splitting up like, you know, they're in the starting lineup together, but the way that their rotations work, when they break up their starting lineup, they tend to keep um, John Rant and Steven Adams together a lot, and that'll, and then they'll have Desmond Bain and Jared Jackson together, and they'll sort of anchor in different lineups with other bench players involved. And so they are not a combo that they keep together a lot during games the way they do, say, John Rant and Steven Adams. And then when they are on the floor, Jared is not a great screener, but he is a valuable spacer, and so it makes sense to have the other big setting the screen with John Morant, who's better at screening, and then Jaron having have create space when the whereas the other big, whether it's Brandon Clark or Steven Adams, can't do that. And so the way their team is structured, you know, that, that I think I think when when they drafted John Morant, the, the idea of the two man game, Josh Jaron, two man game being the, the core of your offense, that's never really materialized. Um, for good reasons and bad reasons, but that's that's not really the function. Um but but the and that's not really when they played together, you know. In terms of the assists that he got from Ja last night, they weren't that. They weren't pick and roll. They weren't right. setting a screen for Ja and whatever. But it was other stuff. It was, it was in transition. It was just a spot up. It was a, it was cutting to the basket. It was, you know, some of that kind of stuff different than the way you know maybe Ja interacts with the Steven Adams.
0: Um, you have uh, I'll let people read. It's over at the Daily and I have tweeted it out. It's not subscription only by the way, most of your stuff now is not, which is a happy uh, happy thing you do often by the way, sometimes people will click on something and and it'll it'll come up that you that they they want you to do something and over at the <clears throat> Daily Memphian, you often have to register for a piece and you will think that you have to pay, but you don't if it's not subscription only, you don't and this is not subscription only. I don't think most of your stuff is now, and that's wonderful for the reader. Um, I'll let people read. Uh, The piece for themselves, there's a section on Dylan Brooks as well. But in your four things I liked about the Grizzlies this weekend section of the column, you had Steven Adams playing Family Feud. And one of the questions was, name something that moves very slowly. And his answer was, grandma's. I don't know. that Uh,
1: That was great.
0: Did he get a single point for grandma's? Like the woman who played, it was, it was, it was. You see Stephen Adams play, and then a contestant from the stands play, and she was very good at this game. She said snails, and I think you know, he got lots of points. I don't think he got. Did he
1: get any points for grandmas? Hey, it went by so fast. I was so transfixed by the by the grandmas, <laughs> but I didn't notice. He got zero points both times. He said sauce. He said, "Sauce he for sauce. something
0: you bring to a, a barbecue, and also something you put on a hot dog." He said, "Sauce right. for both
1: of sauce those." Sauce for both. Yeah, but yeah. like, 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 you know, the, the incident in that game that most people will fix on was like the John Morant brand argument with players. I was so distracted by the grandma thing, like I didn't really register that 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 (laughs) when it was happening.
0: Things that move slowly. Hey, you don't go to Stephen. Stephen Adams, you don't you don't count on for points. That's not what we. That's not what he's there for. So, um, all right. The Athletic had a power ranking. They do a power ranking every week, but this time, the power ranking was was uh, was divided into categories, and the categories were contenders, and brink of contention. Now that's a kind of an odd. Who knows the difference there. The next category is play-in teams or better. But if you were to say if you were to say contenders, what teams would you say in the NBA are contenders? And I would distinguish them from brink of contention, which is a weird um
1: in the e- Yeah, in the East. In the East, I would say Boston, Milwaukee and Philly um contenders, Cleveland and Brooklyn, brink of contention. In the West, I would say Denver, Memphis, and I'll still say Golden State as contenders, and I'll put the Clippers on brink of contention, and that might be about it.
0: Well, you you so what they did was the East is that you you uh, they did Sixers, Bucks, Celtics were the contenders in the East, and that's who you would have had as well, right? Um, yep. and then the only contender, which is silly, because really. I think brink of contention means lesser contender in their in their way they phrased it. But their only contender was Denver. And then brink of contention, they have the Grizzlies, they have the Clippers. Uh they they and then in the east brink of contention, they have the Cavs and the Nets. And then playing or better, they have Golden State and the Heat. And that is that. Um I don't know what what. Let's just start with um, true contenders in the East: Sixers, Bucks, and Celtics. You lump them together. Do you have a clear? Do you have clear favorites of those three in terms of who you um, think is most likely to emerge? It's an interesting. It's an interesting
1: cluster now. I mean, I guess I would put them in the order they are in the standings at the moment, which is Celtics, Bucks, Sixers. Um, let, I mean, that's something to revisit after the trade deadline. I, I think Milwaukee needs to add a little bit of more juice to their bench and to their into their depth and I think they are pretty likely to do so. Um and so if they if they if they have a good trade deadline, I can see putting them right there in Boston if not ahead of Boston when you think when you're thinking about coming out coming out of the playoffs. Uh
0: some thoughts of Jake Crowder going there. I don't think they have much I don't know what they you know I don't know what the Bobby Portis injury uh does to them. Um Sixers, you could easily see a world where the Sixers um, end up in the, in the in the end up as champions.
1: Yeah, the thing about the Sixers, I mean, the Sixers were my preseason pick to have the best record in the league this year, regular yeah. season, and th- that has not been the case. Although they're creeping up on it at this point, I mean they, they they've won they've won eight of their last ten, and they're they're now three games back. They have the fourth-best record in the league. They're only three games out of the best record in the league. So, like, they could end up with the best record in the league. I didn't pick them to come out of the playoffs because I, when I just start about playoff basketball, I worry about the perimeter defense that they have relative to what Milwaukee has and relative to what Boston has. And that's why I see them as less of a playoff kind of team than the Celtics or the Bucks. But, I, you know, it wouldn't shock me if they came out. You know, we we, we could have a Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic, like, you know, right. battle the big men, like, like NBA Finals. That wouldn't be a shot. Uh,
0: okay, so then turning to the West, they have Denver as the only, quote-unquote, contender, and then Grizzlies and Clippers, but not Warriors, as brink of contention. Your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I, I, to me it's hard to, it's somewhat hard to separate out Clippers and Warriors, except I do, in that, the Warriors have already done this. They did it this spring. And so when you think about teams that are muddling through the regular season, but what if they get right in the postseason? Both those teams have the potential to get right in the postseason. They, they've got the, the – the, in terms of their inner cores, they have the inner cores of teams that could get right and blow through the playoffs if they stay right. But the Warriors have actually done it um, with that core. And so I, I have to give the Warriors the edge over the Clippers, although, you know, you could argue that either way. And of
0: all of those teams, in terms of the trade deadline, the Bucks I think, are interesting and could be active. But it's not a particularly... And then, honestly, I think the Grizzlies are the next team. Like, the Grizzlies, A, have resources, and B, have needs. Of all of those teams, aren't they, in fact, kind of the most interesting in what they might do at the trade deadline, unless you think the what? Golden State Warriors trading James Wiseman is interesting?
1: Well, I think the Clippers, of all those teams, are the same most likely to do something at the trade deadline. Uh, they have an owner who doesn't care about money. Right. They have some stuff that they can throw together. They have clear needs. And I think I think if any of those teams makes a big deal at the deadline, I mean, there's been a lot of speculation about Fred Van Vliet, about Mike Conley, about, you know, in terms of adding a starter to their team. You know, Milwaukee's going to add, like, some bench players or whatever, maybe. In terms of adding a new starter for your team among all those teams we talked about, I think the Clippers are probably the most likely to add a new starter to their team.
0: I don't know what they have to offer though. Like Oklahoma City has all their picks. <laughs> you know, like through two thousand twenty six, I think.
1: So I, I think I think they have like one or two they could throw in there and second round picks and expiring contracts and stuff like that.
0: Um let me look here. So it says first-round picks, two thousand assets to deal. First-round picks, two thousand twenty-eight to two thousand thirty. Firsts they owe right. two thousand twenty-three OKC pick swap, two thousand twenty-four OKC. Well, so they they do have a pick. It's just a pick swap to yeah, this yeah. year, yeah. Um, and then there's a pick swap in two thousand twenty-five. Um, so yeah. So I guess they have something. Um, the Grizzlies, uh, they are. Uh, you you do see people doing. Forecasting trade deadline stuff, um, and um, there's a podcast you listen to that did a, uh, a, a mock trade deadline. Who did they? It was this was this was Duncan, uh, Nate Duncan. Who did they have the Grizzlies ending up with at the trade deadline?
1: They ended up making offers on um, OJ and Obi and Sadiq Bay from Detroit, but actually trading for Josh Hart of Portland, which I think is a pretty far fetched fake trade. Um, I, I, like, I don't see something like that happening. But they did have the Grizzlies basically shopping around Danny Green in a draft pick or two to see what they could get. I don't know if Zach Kleiman is actually going to be shopping that around to see what he can get. Um, but in that mock trend deadline, they he did so. And and if I were, you know, playing, playing mock Zach Kleiman, I would also be doing so. So we'll see.
0: It is interesting. The, there's been so much warm and fuzzy conversation around Danny Green from Danny Green as, um, as well, it sort of will be interesting if they just flip him.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely, it's all setting up to be awkward if they do. Of course, you know, that's something you have one press conference about and then people, people don't care anymore. And so it's not that big of a deal, right? But it will be like awkward, awkward, like, you know, up until the point that you're through doing it. Um, and I and I don't necessarily think they will. I mean, my my sense, the best sense I have, which is not you know, it's it, it, take it for what it's worth, which is not a whole lot, but it's not nothing. Um, my best sense is they're not super eager to do something. That they 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 they, they like Danny Green. They think he's going to play for them. Um, I don't think they're going to trade him for a rental. You know, some of the deals I thrown around earlier on that if you don't think Danny Green could, if you're not sure Danny Green could help, you flip him for Alec Burks or whatever. I don't think they're doing, although Alec Burks has a player op, team option, so he could, that would necessarily be a rental. But I don't think they're going to do anything just for this this postseason. Now, I do think, and I've said repeatedly, if OG Ananobi is available, I do think they will be one of the teams if they haven't been already talking to Toronto about that. The odds are they wouldn't get it done, even if it got done, because there are other teams that can get it done. But I do. I, I don't think they are. They are categorically opposed to doing something. But I, I. don't think they are itching to like do whatever they can to give them you know two percent more of a chance just this 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 season. That's what I don't think they're gonna do. And
0: do you think it's because that's just how they're philosophically wired, or also because what they how good they think their team is this year, how close they are this year, are they... And then there's this other thing that they like building through their picks, and they really particularly
1: value their picks. Well, I think they want to be... They want to have a chance to win titles like every year for the foreseeable future, right? And so... You know, it, it, the idea of giving up something, you know, this is a team, and, and I'm not of the school of, like, everything that he was right, and every pick works out. Like right. That very much remains to be seen. But this is the team that turned, like, you know, Desmond Bain, a 30th pick into Desmond Bain, right. a 30th pick into San Aldama Dama, and a 22nd pick into Brandon Clark or whatever. So the idea of giving up a shot to do that again for someone who would be your eighth man for two months, you know, right. I, I don't think they, they see that As a the cost benefit, I'm guessing, is, is, is not good enough for a deal like that for right. them.
0: You can read Chris's piece over at the Daily Memphian. I have tweeted it out. He has tweeted it out. Chris, thanks very much. Talk to you tomorrow. Thanks. Chris Harrington from the Daily Memphian. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio.